We all remember recess growing up in school. Recess was a time of day where you could have all the conversations that you could not have while in class. Recess, recess is where you had the real conversations and real conversations we're going to have. In each episode of the Recess Podcast, I'm going to have real conversations explaining students and school. I'm David McGuire, and I'll be your host. It's recess time, y'all. What's up, everybody? Back again, episode 26 of the Recess Podcast. It's the takeover show. But more importantly, this is the closing, the closeout show of 2020. What a year it has been. I'm excited to be back. And there was no better way to do this show than to connect with my people. We're going to have a real conversation about the year 2020 when it comes to education. We're going to highlight some things that, that, that happened this year. We're going to talk about some lows. And then we're going to kind of take a, a, a trip into the, what we hope is a, a brighter future when it comes to not just society, but I think for us, education as well in 2021. Um, so again, excited to have the NEK-12 takeover. But if you're in the comments, like, share this video, talk with us about some of the things that's happened to you in 2020. Um, and what are you looking forward in 2021? Um, but without further ado, I will yield the floor again. They're not guests because they've been here before. So they're just like family. But I'll yield the floor real quick and let them, for the new listeners, introduce themselves, who you are. We'll start with the, the new dad on the show, uh, Mr. Andrew. Brother, how's it going, man? Good to see you again. Uh, just quickly give folks a little bit about, you know, who you are, what you're doing around here, uh, and everything like that. Yeah, Andrew Pillow, uh, freelance writer extraordinaire, also a 10-year teaching veteran as of... January 1st and we're still guests I mean it's still your show just because we've been here before doesn't mean that you know we not guests no more well you know it's like it's like it's like extended family man it's, at some point you know you just come part of the crew uh last but not least educator Barnes who is back looking good to see you on on the screen we had an opportunity to briefly check out the podcast gonna finish the rest of it but reintroduce the folks who you are and uh and just a little bit about you well, I'm glad to be back on the show again. Um, this is my 15th year in education. I'm a middle school academic dean, uh, writer for NDK 12. I'm also the editor, and I'm glad to be on the show to have a real conversation. Yes, indeed. It's, it's going to be it's going to be a good one. And again, sh- if you're in the comments, uh, Sharon Post, my boy, uh, Dr. Smith has, has jumped on. He's already said 2020 has been a year of growth and overflow. And then, of course, the AOS podcast dropped on the scene for the folks. So. It's been a big year for that. Uh, just been a big year, you know, for me personally with the podcast, but definitely uh, excited about the uh, AOSP. So we'll jump right into it uh, and talk to. The- so highs, man. Twenty twenty. At- Let's start off on a positive note. So from a high standpoint, uh, Andrew, we'll start with you, man. What have been some highs for you in twenty twenty, man? What are some things you want to highlight? And it could be education, it could be personal, just in general. What are some high points for you? You know, sometimes I feel guilty saying this because mm. I know 2020 has been a hard year for people. It has been a fairly decent year for me personally. Um, not only having a daughter, you know, but I've also, you know, hit some um, achievement milestones in other areas. I've gotten, you know, my house situated, which I didn't ever think was going to happen, partly partially because I had the time, you know, like been home all this time. I've gotten a lot of things accomplished that I didn't think I was going to be able to have the time to get accomplished in terms of um, school, 
you know, I've had great conversations with my administrators about like what my role will be going forward and things like that. And I'm very happy with that. Um, so it's been a, it's been really outside of the things that are happening in the world. It's been a good year for me mm-hmm. had, you know, COVID not happened, you know, all of the, you know, police situations haven't happened and things like that. Kobe dying, all those <laughs> things haven't happened. Like this would be a, a pretty high year for me. I'd be riding high. This is all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. My Me personally, everything's gone fine. And even from a standpoint of those things happening, I'm pretty much untouched. My mm-hmm. income hasn't changed. You know what I mean? It's actually gone up during this time. Um, like I've been pretty lucky to not be affected by a lot of the other things that anybody else is. So I can't amen. complain. Amen to that. Amen to that. Uh, Shantae, what about you? What, what, what's been the highs of 2020 for you? I would say um, one thing is kind of knowing that the school administration thing I can do. Um, I transitioned to school administration during the 2019, 2020 school year. And then, of course, it's like pandemic happened. So there's like no admin class that really explains how to prepare for that. But it really gave me an opportunity to really stretch myself, to really grow myself and see that, yeah, I can really do this. Um, I think uh, to piggyback on what Andrew said, uh, I actually moved into a new house at the end of 2019. And I still have my first house. And we only moved four streets over because it was important to us to stay within our school district, but I still had stuff in my first house. And then I was like four streets over at my new house. And like when 2020 started, I had boxes everywhere. Um, so with being at home, it gave me an opportunity to really figure out how I wanted to put stuff because my husband and I, we don't agree on anything when it comes to decorations. It's like a two month negotiation to do literally anything, even picking out paint color. We had our basement remodeled and just to go back for like a month over two colors and it was like shades of the same color. So just like the fact that I was able to do those things. And then I just really feel truly blessed because I've stayed employed during this time. Um, my kids are doing well. They've been a remote, they've been remote the whole entire school year, this school year. And they've still had a uh, first quarter. They had all straight A's second quarter. We have A's and some B's because, you know, they're kind of a little bit over being online the whole time, but I just feel uh, truly grateful. So I really, um, I really can't complain. I can't think of anything to really uh, to complain about. Mm-hmm. Now I, I echo everything you all said, and I think Andrew, you 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 said it. You said it first. It's kind of hard to you feel almost guilty, right, when with everything happened. But this what I this what I say. Some of my my highs again have been, I think, having an opportunity when the when school closed during the pandemic. I had a lot of valuable time and intimate time with my daughter. Right. Learning how to be a dad. She was still fairly new. And, you know, she was we celebrated her first birthday in the midst of COVID right in April. But while I was out of school and teach or, you know, leading remotely, I was able to have her throughout the day. I was able to have her, you know, over course of multiple days, you know, longer than normal. And I just had a really good time with her. And I think time that I probably wouldn't have gotten because typically I would get her on the weekends or, you know, after work. But being able to wake up, go to sleep with her cook her lunch, cook her dinner, find, learn her nap schedule and just different things like that. That was my biggest high in 2020, the, the intimate time I got while school was closed with my daughter. I think another high would be just seeing the resilience of schools and how schools have uh, was, was able to rethink education, although it being forceful, right? 
and we were forced to rethink it. I think it that was good. That was a high for me. I, I, schools that probably would have never, including my own, that probably would have never went tw- uh, one-to-one, we did it. Uh, it just wasn't in our in our radar for a, a top priority. But being forced to do that is good because I think, as we talked about, and we'll get into a little later, um, equitable internet and equitable technology access in schools and at home is a, is a need for everybody. And so us being forced to go that route has been great. Um, and honestly, you know, I, I, I did have a lot of opportunities to make a little bit more money, right? A little bit more pocket change. I had more time to write. And then I think the two biggest highs outside of, you know, the personal thing is the Recess podcast was launched on April 7th. This is the 26th show and did the AOS podcast and met some dope people that I had been able to connect with and, and call my friends. And so that's been a blessing as well. So, you know, it's a lot of highs and uh, definitely in 2020 and we'll get to the lows. But I want to ask you guys, this is where we stand on the highs. When you think about from your school standpoint, right, what what, do you, what has been the biggest success your school has accomplished this year? When you think about something from from your school that you say, like, man, I tell you what, even in the pandemic, we did accomplish this. I talked about us going one to one and that being a, a big accomplishment from us. But what about you all from your school standpoint? What's some big wins or big highs of 2020? My school was already had one to one, so that wasn't really that big of an accomplishment for them in that stamp from that standpoint. But it's a big difference between having a one to one technology ratio at school and then having it with Man, kids come at on. home. And I think that um, presents a whole new set of barriers. So you you're taking somebody who is probably used to managing technology at school, mm-hmm. and now they are managing technology at school and at home. And we didn't hire an extra person for that. It was still the same person who did that. And, you know, there were some tasks that were divided among the staff as well. So just learning what that looks like, learning how to make kids get on a website you want to be on when they're not in front of you, <laughs> learning how to monitor what people are doing um, when you're not standing over their shoulder is a huge, huge undertaking. Mm. And I don't think that we do it well yet but we do it well enough like Mm -hmm. school occurs every day yes Um, and that's the most important part and i would even say that it occurs in a way that more or less resembles what you would expect to find in person now Mm -hmm. obviously it's it's not the same i can't if i teach math right now someone gets a math problem wrong i don't know why they got it wrong because i can't see their work so Mm -hmm. you still have those gaps but i have contact with most students daily and even having had a Chromebook for every student beforehand, just getting that into the hands of students at home and getting them internet and things like that and making sure they're on the websites and making sure they're up on time and things like that mm-hmm. is a big deal. Absolutely. Real quick, Dr. Smith says something that is true. Connecting and partnering with parents in a new and deeper way has been great. High as well. I think we've always been good with parent engagement at our school and parent involvement. But I think to Dr. Smith's point, we were able to connect deeper with with families, right? We had some really deep conversations with our families, especially the ones that we were trying to connect and find resources for as they were, you know, navigating this new space and the difficulties. And and I think we were able to build relationships that weren't all focused on the the education of their schools, right? And the education of their kids, but it's more about them as people. And I learned a lot about who my families were as people. And I think they got to learn from myself and our staff who we are as people. And so that's been, that's been great as well uh, for us. So 
Uh, so I said, what about you? I mean, you, 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 what has been like the, the accomplishment, the high from you and your school this year um, in 2020? I would say for my school, if I'm looking and comparing back to the previous school year, it would be teacher collaboration. Um, this school year, teachers really had to lean on each other to really figure out how to teach better and how to engage students better because you had teachers that you would consider proficient in the in-person setting. And then when we shifted over to remote learning, you may have a younger teacher that was better to use technology and engage. And so you really had to be able to say, hey, I'm trying to use Nearpod right now and it's not working so well. And I, I heard the, the and the, and, you, and kids will tell you, like, I'm in the middle school, right? So kids will should have interrupt your class and say, Mr. or Mr. So-and-so don't have problem with this or say something like that, which kind of leads you to go, you know, talk to that person and say, how how did you do this in your class? So I felt, um, and then my school does surveys. And so just from those different surveys we gotten back, it seems like people felt like um, that collaboration was stronger and that people were working uh, well together. So I think those are some of the things that has went well, because when teachers collaborate, I um, think that that impacts student achievement when teachers are working almost smarter, but not harder, you know, mm -hmm. they're working together and trying to figure out those gaps. So I'm just yeah. um, great. Glad to be a facilitator of that. Yeah. Hey, listen, you find it ironic if they work better together outside. <laughs> I was literally going to that. Yep. That was going to be my question. I would say I want to keep it real. <laughs> and I almost wrote a piece about this for NDK 12. But, you know, I, was, I just didn't get around to this one. Well, I because we know we're doing that teacher confession series. I mm -hmm. wanted to do like I have enjoyed working at home. Like because like, <laughs> you know, that was like a controversy to even say that. Like I enjoy at home. But it's like the little things. It's kind of like what, what David said about being able to interact with my kids more. Um, mm -hmm. That was really meaningful to me. But sometimes there's things at my house that helps me decompress. That's not at work. So mm -hmm. if I just need a minute, I can just step away and go sit in my chair or step away and go to my bedroom and sit down for a minute. But at work, it's like that, especially being a ministry where you're walking on your hip, like it, that grind is just constant, constant, constant. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I actually, on the days, because I was going between working at home and working on campus, on the days I work remotely, I got twice as much done than the days I was on campus. And so I also think about our teachers. Some of them had accommodations where they worked at home because our middle school for most of the years stayed 100 percent remote. So our sixth through eighth graders have never been on campus this school year. Our mm. fifth graders did come on campus uh, after fall break and then everybody went remote. Um, but the teachers, I just felt like my teacher morale was better. And, and I just and this may be something we talk about later. You know, some schools didn't give teachers the choice. They just say you must work on campus. And so when teachers kind of had that autonomy to be like, and I just think some of the reasons I'm just going to get real. I, I don't trust you to work at home. I just think that's crap. And the reason I say that is my husband's in technology. And so his job, he has to be able to work wherever he's at, whether he's at, you know, the government's building or at our house. And, and I said, so I said to my husband, how do they keep you accountable? He says, you have things you have to deliver. If mm -hmm. you don't deliver results, you you get canned. And so mm -hmm. he said in education, I feel like if you're not teaching or if you're not uh, showing up to your class, if you're not doing your grade or whatever it is, those tangible things, then that should be the metric to be like, you must be on campus. But I do think teachers should get the choice because some teachers, they their house is too distracting and they want to be on campus. Mm -hmm. I just don't like that we force people. But for me, 
I think for some teachers, getting a break off of campus is the reason why they were able to collaborate more. They were in a better headspace. Yeah. I think a couple of things to the, that you said that, that stuck out with me. I think the first is the piece about giving teachers the option. First of all, our network said you can't teach from the building, right? So I think they, they went the opposite approach, right? Of saying, nah, y'all can't come up in here, right? Um, and they wanted us at home, which I was shocked by that because I think if I was to be asked, I would have been like, no, nah, I want them in the building. There are some teachers that I don't trust, but I'm willing to learn to trust them um, to teach from home. And I think, the, and to your point, to what your husband said, is you got to give them deliverables or something to hold them accountable, right? So whether it's making sure they they submit an end of the day report report or something. But honestly, as a leader, if I want to know if my teacher's teaching, go into the classrooms. That's the piece that people don't talk about. People want to talk about teachers during this time not working. I bet my bottom dollar is some principals around this part and school leaders that are really skating, not doing no work. They're not observing a lick of instruction. They're not, they're not doing any type of support for teachers. They're not making no type of phone calls. That's the part that people don't want to talk about. Some of these school leaders who ain't doing jack squat. So while we want to come down on teachers, right, let's talk about these school leaders because the ones that there's some that get on Twitter and all the stuff that they're doing. And I'm just like, nah, I doubt it. Right. Just because I have to, I had to create myself a, a day, minute by minute, hour by hour schedule, just so I wouldn't feel like I was wasting my time as a school leader. Right. Like, because, so I made sure I got into every room. I had follow-up calls. I even jumped on the attendance team to do things like that. Just because my teachers are teaching their ass off right all day and trying to navigate 13 different platforms at the same time. And I was like, man, what, what am I, what am I doing? Right. And so that's the part that people really don't want to talk about. And Dr. Smith said it. Yeah, man, they skate like the Olympics, man. Like <laughs> these school leaders out here not doing no work. And so that's the part people don't want to talk about. It's easy to. to, and, that's to true. and I will say like, some of my teachers are like, why are you in advisory every day? Like I go to <laughs> advisory class every yes. single morning. I rotate through my teachers, but I thought to myself, if I'm not going to advisory, then what's to say that I'm just not in bed sipping lemonade. So I actually intentionally go to advisory. First of all, I thought our advisory last school was pretty weak. I mm -hmm. felt like it was just, chat time we weren't really doing anything so i'm like this school year we're remote we have to take this more seriously because that's the only time where kids kind of get to talk a little bit more freely because in the remote learning setting for secondary you don't have the passing periods anymore you don't have like going to the cafeteria so that's the time that kids are being social and i wanted to make sure it was productive so i'm in somebody's advisory class every single day to the point that people are like am i am it's like is, am i doing something wrong I said, no. And then it gave me an opportunity to connect with students. So I was challenging school leaders. If you're not showing up to all parts of the day, then what are you doing? And I don't mean there's stuff that we have to do. Don't get me wrong. There's reports, there's data analysis, there's stuff that we have to do. But you can find time to show up. So it does appear that you're actually doing your job. Amen to that. Ditto to that. All right, so we're going to jump into the lows of 2020. I'm sure we got a lot for these. Uh, so I'll start with you. Um, you know, I hate again. I hate to I hate to ask that question, but like you know, let's just let's talk about what what have, what have been some low points. You know, for twenty, and of course we could probably name up plenty of them. But what have been some low points of twenty twenty for you this year? I would say the the thing, and I've talked about this publicly on Twitter. Uh, my school knows I've talked about it, so I'm just pointing that out there for everybody. Like she got lose our job. Uh, it's already been dealt with. Um, but 
on it was like march the first week of march i actually submitted a complaint to our hr department at my school and it was like 17 pages long um just about some harassment i was getting at my job um and then um then the pandemic happens right our hr person gets let go so it doesn't even get dealt with until like the summer right before school starts up again and so earlier in my career when i was a youngin i'm like i gotta deal with this i'm out but at this point in time in my career, I wasn't even actually gonna make a complaint, but the HR director, I would just tell her what was going on. But I said, I don't need you to do anything because I'm good, you know, because what I knew is that the the person I was having issues with, they were already being dealt with per se. So I didn't need to do anything, but there wasn't anything documented. So I turned this in and then I write because social justice summer happened. We all got woke, whatever. Um, and I wrote this piece about feeling like emotionally unsafe at my school because we did these like racial equity talks uh, with our executive director. And the call I happened to be on was mostly all the black employees. Right. And so we all were saying these similar things and we all um, talked about similar things. So I'm like, hey, this is not even just in my head. It's not just a me thing. It's like a collective we thing. Um, so I just kind of wrote about that. And so that turned into Shantae's uh, uh, pulling down the culture of the school. Uh, Shantae is uh, causing the school not to be positive. And oh, and the, the last thing I, I remember was uh, I don't like the way Shantae advocates when she writes and when she's on people's podcasts um, to the point. I mean, I have I've been in meetings where people have literally quoted things I've written, but they don't actually name drop me. They just do it and they don't say anything, which is super shady. And so I said back to my school. Um, and then people started reporting me to HR about stuff I was writing. And I mean, actually, one of the episodes of the Recess podcast I was on was actually one of the things that got quoted. <laughs> so, uh, and so I said to them, I said, I have exemplary um, performance review. I, I'm meeting my metrics. And I said, I, there's issues here. So are you going to worry about how I said and what I said? Are you going to do something about it? So essentially nothing happened to me uh, to the disappointment of some people. Um, and I say disappointment because when you can't look me in the eye <laughs> in the hallway, you 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 mad. Um, be big mad because I'm going to throw in your presence. So that was hard. But the um, good thing about it is that the teachers that I supervise, um, they didn't have issues with me. They want to know more about some of the stuff I was talking about. So we call it the Barnes bubble. So that's my team. So my mm -hmm. team was like down for the cause and the things I was talking about. But that was probably one of the lows to be in a situation where I was just like, I'm not switching jobs over this. I'm just not. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stay here and I'm going to stick it out and I'm going to be good. And you did these things. You now have the consequence and I'm going to thrive. Um, so that was probably like the low. And I would say the second low, which is not a low, I had I'm on medical leave right now from work. Mm. And just to be in a situation during the pandemic, knowing I had to have this surgery, kicking myself, knowing I could have done it earlier and have this hysterectomy. I knew I had all these issues. But it, and I was just worried because I'm leaving my teachers. And I'm, when I tell you, teachers were just like, Shantae, who's going to be my supervisor while you're gone? I won't be able to talk to you because um, I, I shut it down. Like, you can't talk to me when I'm on leave. Um, it was a low for me, but it actually ended up being a blessing because I don't hardly watch TV. So I've been able to watch TV and kind of get some things done. But I would say those are my two lows, just unexpectedly having to go off of work and then dealing with that in the workplace, being an administrator at the time mm -hmm. and 
and learning how to navigate the politics of a job. Because what people don't tell you in your education classes is that there's politics in education and you have to learn how to navigate them. And as you quote unquote climb the ladder, the navigation gets more tricky and more difficult. But I'm also a person that believes in telling your truth and speaking up when things are happening. And so I would say that's that's my lows. Absolutely. Uh, man, my and I'm gonna I'm gonna put up Dr. Smith's uh, quote because this was actually one that I was gonna share as well. So, uh, Dr. Smith, uh, who's uh, my AOS uh, podcast partner and brother and family, uh, we we did a little billboard thing this year, and so I did one in the summer with uh, the pictures of black uh, people who were uh, murdered by the police, and then he followed it up and did an "I Can't Breathe" billboard, and it's crazy how much a billboard got people in their feelings. I think the first time that I experienced a viral moment on Twitter was when I posted a picture of the billboard we created. And, you know, these, I'm going to call them, the Twitter racists were big mad. They were real angry. And I couldn't understand why. But so that was a low for me because it, what I was we were trying to do is do what a lot of folks were doing in that time was making sure that those people's faces and names weren't forgotten. And I wanted to be standing my truth as a school leader, as a black man, um, as a black American citizen and say, like, this is not right. And, and these folks need to make sure that we don't forget who they are. And people were mad that I use my school as a platform and blah, blah, blah. But didn't even ask whether I asked my staff, some students, some families of my school, were they okay with it? And they were all good with it. And so the other folks were mad about it and it went on Twitter and it was viral and people were just like angry and nasty. And it just, it, it, it highlighted again for me, just how far we are as a country uh, to, I'm going to pay a, a, a homage to Barack Obama's new book, a promised land. We are so far away from that promised land. And it's sad because we are in 2020 and we have had a black man in the white house and a black family in the white house. So you would think some of these things would be better. So that was a low. I think another low for me, is watching how bad people struggle. Man, and I kind of I kind of wrote about this uh in a piece um that will be that will be out soon. It's just watching folks struggle. Man, was just it was hard, right? And knowing people that lost their job, uh car got repo, they got evicted, they couldn't feed their family. Like people have real life struggles. And that to me was just a low cuz it was sad. It made me sick and sad and, and hurt watching those uh, people struggle and those hearing those people's stories of, of people losing love members to COVID, people catching COVID and just the impact it's had. And so that was just, that was a, that was a major low for me um, just watching that. And it's still to this day reading it and I'll get into it too. Actually, I'm gonna get into it right now. Uh, and I'm gonna I'm a, I'm a share something with y'all um, that I saw and I don't know how true this is, because it, it was something I saw on Instagram, so the numbers may not be correct. But we were taught at an early age that one plus one equals two, right? Like one and one always equals two. And I saw some some, uh, some numbers that just didn't add up to one plus one equals two. And so I'm going to just read it, and I don't know how true this is, but if it is. So I saw where it says Congress members got paid $190,000 to argue about giving folks who are struggling $600 on a stimulus package. That just doesn't add up to me. That it, On December 22nd, today when I read that, that just became a new low for me, that these folks got paid 
almost $200,000 to almost shut the government down and argue on whether or not people should. Now, of course, there's other things and litanies in that bill, and I get all that. But they argued over $600 to give people in a pandemic. First of all, $600 for some people won't even get their account to not being in the negative, right? Like, so what is really $600 for people during this time? And so when I read that, it was, it was sick. It, that, that was a, that was a low that these folks are getting paid that type of money to argue whether or not people need $600. So again, I don't know how true that is, but if it's true or remotely true, that's sickening and that's a low. And I'm even more disappointed at our elected officials because I was one of those people that did have high hopes for people that were elected. Call me naive or whatever, but I just had high hopes that it would do right by the people. And if that's true, that's a low. So those are some of my lows uh, for this year. Andrew, what about you, man? What would have been some lows for 2020? I mean, like I said I, I earlier, I haven't really had any personal lows. Um, but I will say that in conjunction with, it, with what you guys said, you know, working for home has pros and cons. And one of them is if you are prone to work a lot, you know, then you always can work. There's no barrier to me getting up at 2 a.m. and working on something now. Whereas before, there were certain things that I work on um, at home and certain things that I'll do at school and certain things like there is no checks and balances anymore. There are no barriers to letting my mind run wild when I'm supposed to be sleeping and then thinking I got to get up and do this or do that. Um, and that's caused some problems, especially with their a baby, you know, like wife doesn't want to see, you know, me getting up to go, you know, twiddle away on a computer down here. Because as far as he's concerned, all I'm doing down here is playing games. Like there's, there's nothing, nothing constructive ever happens down here. It's all Call of Duty and you know, like, you know, Pac-Man. Like there, there is actual video game cabinets back there, and I do occasionally play them. But that's just for that's just for show. It's just for man cave. But as far as he's concerned, that's what I'm doing down here. So if she can't come down, she's afraid to come down because I'm always on camera, so she doesn't actually know. But so the the um, paradigm of working from home has definitely been a double-edged sword for me. I would also say that in addition to, you know, being a bigger workaholic than I am was before, I think that I am less hopeful for um, any kind of shift in the partisanship of education than I was before. I don't think that that's going away. I used to think that there were um, aspects of education that people arbitrarily took issue with because they didn't like the association with Betsy DeVos or something like that. But I don't think that step is going away. I think those things are here to stay now, and I don't see why it has to be that way. And I think it's going to make everything more difficult than it has to be. And I'm just realizing that like now as we start to shift into the new administration that those things are not going away. And that just seems weird to me. But that's a that's a low because I had I had high hopes for that. Yeah, and on that point, uh, that is something. While we talked about the successes that we've had with education, you know, getting schools one to one, having conversations about reliable internet, it also has been a low just to see how really truly di divisive education is, right? And how people get a stance and they're not willing to give any ground on certain issues. Obviously, the biggest is charter versus the public. I'm going to say the public because charter schools are public schools. But the only way people identify the difference is charter and public. 
people just aren't willing to give ground on that. When it comes to potential appointees for certain positions, and we'll get into these two, i.e. the one here in Indiana, the one nationally, it's just been sickening. Uh, the supports for whether or not a school should reopen in one area versus whether or not should open in another area is sickening because they're not all the same. And if I could just be semi-political, I think the one aspect of, of President-elect Joe Biden that I'm cautious of is for him to say he wants all public schools to open within 100 days because I just don't think all public schools will be in areas that are conducive for opening. Um, and I even think in some communities inside of cities, it's not conducive for schools to open, right? Like I think the east side of Indianapolis versus Carmel, you know, Carmel officials in Indiana could be different based off of, um, you know, cases and things like that. Now I know we're different counties and stuff, but I just, to say like, if the governor was to come out and say all Indiana schools will open, like not taking that in the counties is something. But that, Andrew, I agree. That's been a low for me, man. Just seeing like people just ain't willing to give no ground and listen to other folks or be open to, Differing views when it comes to educational uh, topics and things like that, and that's that's sad because at the end of the day, what's what's getting lost is kids, right? We arguing about things and ain't talking about how it's going to impact the kids. We arguing about things that's going to impact us as adults with college degrees, master degrees, and you know, good paying jobs and stuff. And I think that's just silly and, and it's sad too. So I say anything anything on that uh, before we kind of jump into. We're going to spend the next 30 minutes talking about 20, 2021 and beyond. But as we close 2020 right now, any anything, any other lows or anything you want to highlight that Andrew and I touched on from a low standpoint? I would just I, I didn't really think about the whole work from home. I mean, it's been mm -hmm. better for me. Um, but I think what's been hard is the times when I'm here, my husband's here and my two kids are here um, because they're in class and it's like. And I'm, I'm sure, and this one day my husband was just in her work and I'm like, he didn't have a shirt on, but he wasn't on camera or nothing. But he got up to cross the room. And of course my kids are on Zoom. I'm like, they're in class, like where's your, and he's like, and so it's like just navigating like mm -hmm. the logistics of stuff like that has been difficult. And then my my sons who are identical twins, they're in fourth grade, they want to play games. I'm sitting here watching my son steadily keep turning his laptop. Clearly, you're not in class. Are you switching screens? And so I pretend to go a different direction so I could turn back around up here watching Minecraft. <laughs> what do y'all do when y'all watch? And I'm saying y'all, because my husband's included in this, where y'all go watch videos of people <laughs> doing these games and learning. I don't even I don't even understand that life. Uh, but <laughs> And I, and I can relate to Andrew's wife because I swear my husband goes to the basement. That's all he's mm -hmm. doing. I'm sure he's doing other things, but it just seems like that's all he's doing with his uh, friends. Uh, but it's like it's hard to keep my on my own kids focus on to learning because they're switching between tabs and watching someone play games on YouTube and trying to not get caught by me. But then, and then when I ask my son, like, isn't your teacher teaching? Oh, she's just going over directions. So like even negotiating, I think the worst thing that my kids did. They started making videos of themselves and sending it to each other in Canvas because that's the platform. Mm -hmm. So I actually went into their Canvas account and there's all these random videos of them just like dancing around. I'm like, y'all doing this while y'all in class? Like sending videos to each other? And at, and about a couple of weeks ago, before I went on medical leave, I told them like my kids would be with my parents 
And well, my parents and mother-in-law, because my mother-in-law lives like 10 houses around the corner from my parents. And she said, well, can you make sure they're like apart and not talking to each other? Because she said, I'm not sure what they're doing. I'm like, oh yeah, I know exactly what they've been doing. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, that's been a low of trying to manage work life and then manage parent life in the same house and making sure they're staying accountable um, to their work and then making sure I'm being able to work and trusting them to do their schoolwork while I'm working, if that all makes sense. It makes sense. Hey, I'm going to say something to you and other parents out there and educators. Let those babies make those videos. It's supposed to make millions of dollars off these uh, YouTube videos. So who knows? I, listen, let them babies be great. As long as they're not out here doing anything inappropriate, let those babies make that video, man. They might, they might have the next uh, YouTube channel that goes viral, and then you ain't never got to work again because your child that made some money off YouTube. I'm definitely advocating for my kids to make some videos, right? Because if they hit rich, I want them to say my principal supported my dreams. Uh, so that will be my piece. Um, so we're going to jump into our wish list. So those that don't know and those that may know um, that are watching live and listening later, we um, we write for NDK12, which is uh, a blogging platform in Indiana. And I, I've said this plenty of times uh, to people in private and public. Um, if you want the news on education in Indianapolis, uh, I think you should add us to your subscription list. The conversations that we have, the topics that we talk about, both hit on the aspect of what's happening from a broader standpoint. We get uh, personal at times and talk about ways that education has impacted us as educators, impacted our schools. We share the stories of kids and families and teachers and things like that. And, and I think we have a very unique voice in this uh, education conversation. So I encourage you all to go to Indy.Education, subscribe, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook, uh, Indy Education, Indy K-12, Indy Kids Winning on Twitter. Um, to, uh, follow us separately on social media. Just trust me, you, you're going to want to engage in this conversation. And outside of Chalkbeat in Indiana, we're the only ones having these conversations, and I can say that, and everybody else that is having the conversations are following our footsteps. So I'll just, I'll put that piece out there. But anyway, every year we do a couple series. The first one that we do is we highlight, well, we do three. The first one is we highlight the top 10 uh, most viewed blogs, and so that's posted right now. So we're currently in part one, and so you're going to see that each day we're, we're sharing the top uh, the top 10 stories individually. So you're getting that as well. We also share the top view uh, posts that weren't posted in, in the current year. So right now we, we have the, the list of that, that that's going that was in view that wasn't maybe that was posted in 2017 or 2018. And then also we do what's called our wish list. And so each of us have now written our wish list. And so I'm going to go first because mine was the last one to post. And so I'm going to share my screen for mine and, and ours as we go through them. And so let me just share my screen real quick of my wish list and kind of talk about it. So on the screen, you should see my wish list. And this is my wish list. And so 2021, my focus and my wish list is on focus. And there's three focuses that I want uh, focus on people, which is students, staff, and parents a focus on teaching and learning and a focus on community. So I'll go real briefly on the three of them. Focus on students. I feel like if, if the pandemic didn't teach us anything about education, it should have taught us whether that we should be focused on the children, 
and what the children need. Um, and so I think that needs to, to go first and foremost. I know school leaders, we need to focus on our teachers and our staff because they are the, the frontline workers in this work and they need to be supported um, from a standpoint of making sure they have all the tools to be successful, making sure that we're focused on their well-being and make sure that we're focused on their pockets and making sure that they're adequately uh, compensated. And then again, parents, I, th I think I've said it before, we lived in a space where we felt like parents had a, had a we're on a need to know basis and not a right to know. And so parents need to be on a right to know basis when it comes to the education of their kids. Uh, the second piece would be a focus on teaching and learning. I'll keep it brief. Um, quality teaching and learning shouldn't be a buzzword. It needs to be something that happens. And so we need to make sure that we have an opportunity now to rethink education, rethink teaching and learning. So let's do that. And lastly is a focus on community. Listen, um, no school is great without the support of the community and no community is great without a great school. And so those things are, are mutually exclusive to one another. They need to be, they need to happen. And so I encourage uh, schools to reach out to the community and I encourage people in the community to reach into the schools so we all collectively uh, do this together. And so that's my wish list for 2021, a focus on people, a focus on teaching and learning and a focus on community. And so I'll stop sharing. And Andrew, I will yield the floor to you next, brother. So let me get yours up first. And you talk, man, about your wish list for 2021. All right. Got you. Got you queued up, brother, for your wish list. So um, my first one was keep the technology and the Internet. I think <laughs> we've written at length about that on this blog and many others. So it's, it's really kind of self-explanatory. Those Chromebooks that you gave out and those hotspots that you gave, you know, let them keep them, right? I mean, you can provide an extra couple hundred dollars out of that headcount money for that, especially considering the amount that you get in return for it. It's probably the best return mm -hmm. on investment that we spend in the school, honestly. Um, now that's not going to happen. They're going to make them get those hotspots back in that <laughs> That's why I call it a wish list. Um, the second one was collect and learn from the comprehensive data on um, the pandemic on academics. We just don't know where these kids are at. Um, and we, I don't think we had a good idea about where they were at before either. I mean, it's been, you know, a year and a half since they've had mm -hmm. a real test to show you where they're at. And people run from those that data um, or those data, I should say, because we have a culture in this country of making data punitive. So uh, predictably, schools want to hide from it. But that doesn't actually change where the students are at and how mm -hmm. they're doing. So, you know, we need to figure out where they're at. And the only way I know how to do that is, is a test. I'm, I hate to be the one to tell people that. But that's probably <laughs> what it's going to be because it's not, it's not like anybody's psychic and we can dive into somebody's mind. So we need some type of mechanism um, that allows us to ascertain where uh, students are academically and we need a longitudinal study about what is going to happen with from this COVID um, time. I could see this being a problem years from now. Um, using games to teach. So I think as we've been online, we've seen teachers have been forced to take advantage of that. Um, and because of that, you've seen the impact that it could potentially have. I mean, like we're, we're talking about games like Minecraft you were talking about that earlier. So I thought that's actually a game that you could conceivably use in class. Mm -hmm. um, there, there are academic 
applications for that game if a teacher wants to figure it out. Um, I learned a bunch of history from games, you know, a mm-hmm. top-down strategy game. Um, so I believe in the gamification of education. I understand that it's not applicable all the time, but it's definitely more doable than we have been. And now that schools have this nice one-to-one technology ratio, they should be able to do it a lot easier. Um, we talked, we already touched on number four, depart from the partisan bickering over like school choice. Um, this is, this matters less here than it does other places. I think school choice is kind of apolitical here. Um, but nationally it's, it's difficult to have conversations about what's best for kids because it almost always comes down to, um, this debate and that isn't a helpful debate because we already have charter schools. You already have school choice and you can't really put the genie back in the bottle. No matter what your ideological opinion on it is, we have kids that are attending charter schools. We have kids that are on vouchers. Um, Therefore, it isn't really helpful to talk about these issues in a paradigm where that doesn't exist. You know, it would be, it would be the equivalent of talking about um, some type of civil rights issue under a paradigm where in past injustices never happened. Well, they did. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we are in a we are in a situation where those schools exist, and whether you like them or not, millions of students attend them. So, we need to figure out how to have conversations where that is not the focal point of the debate. Um, and then allocate more money to schools. Obviously, there's really no need to talk about that. We all know what that means. I can't ever leave that off though, because somebody will say that I don't think that that's a reason or don't think that that's a, a factor. So, mm-hmm. so Andrew, I, I will ask bef- before we, we move on uh, and, and you guys will get this inside joke. How come you didn't talk about curriculum on your <laughs> wish list? <laughs> yeah. Whoever, whoever, Twitter, um, if you read the, if you read the blog and you, you realize I don't follow the curriculum anyway, so mm-hmm. uh, I, I, to be honest with you, I couldn't tell you what was in it. So <laughs> Let, th- it might be good for all I know. <laughs> this, this is what I tell folks. Folks that, this is why I think I might be, you know, I am biased. I'm not gonna say I might be, I am biased. This is why our blog, I think has been successful. Yes, Dr. Smith, I am petty. We, we know where our, 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 our range are and our topics that we talk about. We all have skill sets. While we could talk about a litany of things when it comes to education, what we've learned in the, in the I don't even know how many years it's been since we've done this, but four, we have a we have a lane and our blog is successful because if people want certain things, they know where to get it from. And while we can we are at times creative and step outside of topics that typically aren't our wheelhouse, like we simply in our wheelhouse and that's great because i learn a lot from the two of them on certain topics as well and so if you want a question about curriculum uh educator barnes and i will write about curriculum sir so all you have to do is add us if you want and we can give you what you want but again right it's a wish list and this was his wish list so if there's something you want on your wish list i encourage you to write it and i don't know maybe our editor who's on the screen might cross post it for you we're open to that if it has some substance. So that goes to anybody. We do take people that want to post things. I think in 2021, we might need to charge people a small fee and maybe they donate to our respective schools. I don't know. Just a thought, you know, if you want to post it, because it shouldn't be free. 
right? We got a platform now. People follow us. So we're not about to be giving away our followers for free. But I digress. Let's move on. <laughs> Last but not least, uh, I'm going to put it on the screen real quick. I'm going to share my screen. Uh, and let's talk, because your wish list was first, which is why we have you last, because you posted yours first. So I want you to talk about what is on the wish list for 2021. And I will say, I think what I appreciate about us in comparison to other people that write about education is that you go to certain sites, I am not going to name any names. It seems like they're, they have a narrative they're trying to tell. With us, we have, I mean, David and I, we have done pieces where we have disagreed Absolutely. and there have been counter pieces. And like to the point where like people are like, do they have problems? I'm like, no, we just have difference of opinion. But from us, from NEK 12, you will see we're all black, but we all mm -hmm. have different opinions and black people aren't a monolith. And I think a lot of people, when they're like, oh, we're trying to get the black vote or the black opinion or the black educators. No, you can't just dangle mm -hmm. one carrot because you don't know where all our thoughts are. And so even when you look at our wish list, yeah, we have parts that overlap, but we all have different focuses based on our area of expertise and our background. Mm -hmm. So um, like Andrew had already said, <laughs> points one and point two is like students having the internet and maintain one-to-one -one technology. And the reason I'm saying maintain is because we have all these kids that have technology now, but technology has a shelf life. So do we have a long-term plan to replenish technology and keep the one-to-one? -one? And so that's what I'm, cause it's been great that all these people in Indy came together and donated this, this money and we got this technology, but what is the long-term plan? So in 2021 and moving beyond, I wanna know how are we going to make this sustainable? Because like my nieces attend school in the suburbs, they've always had an iPad, like they just had it from jump. And so how are we gonna make sure that's the situation for kids in the urban setting and even in rural setting? And how do we make sure there's internet um, in some of these places in, uh, in rural locations? Uh, number three, um, this is actually, I came up with this one based on my personal experience for my children. I had to watch my kids peck type to do their work. Everything has to be typed up and my kids can't type. That's a problem. We're giving kids technology and you're giving kids time limits. So when school buildings close at the end of last school year, my kids will be up to 6, 7 p.m. just typing their assignments to turn in. And it got to the point where I just said to the teacher, I said, look, they're going to write it by paper and I'm going to start taking pictures because we can't be up all night. But on the other hand, I do feel like they need typing skills. So if we're going to give kids technology, we actually have to teach them how to type and use it appropriately. Like don't put your whole message in the email subject line. We need to teach them some like email etiquette, uh, too. Uh, and then for listen to students, this, um, I guess a high for me, I now am the moderator of Ed Gems, a show with the Indie Recorder. Um, who is trying to bolster their education coverage. Um, but I got to talk to some students um, in Brownsburg and Carmel just about what it's like being a black kid in the suburb. And I got to actually speak um, to the Future Leaders of Tomorrow, which is a group in, Browns, uh, in Brownsburg at the high school. And we don't talk to kids enough about their experiences, about what they need. You have all these adults making plans for children without getting the input of children. So if you're at a school and you're not doing staff, like student surveys about how students are doing, like you really need to do that. Um, six, increase employee compensation. And I said employee, I'm talking about everybody. I couldn't do my job successfully if it's not for the support staff. 
and support staff in a lot of our schools are some of the lowest paid people. And depending on what role they have, they may not even get paid on over breaks. A lot of times for teachers, they may have a 10 month contract, but that pay is stretched across the 12 months. If you are a uh, assistant, you when winter break comes around, you're not getting paid. So I think we should increase the conversation for all levels. I actually said this on my own podcast yesterday. When I took my admin job, I was a uh, elementary librarian on a 10 month contract. I switched to a 12 month contract and my pay increased $600. So if you sit there and do the math, <laughs> you can figure out that I was bringing in less per paycheck because I went from a 10 month contract to a 12 month contract and only increased $600 in compensation. Um, to the point that the when I shared my previous two contracts to say, hey, this is what I'm making, my school's like, this is the max for your role. Um, they did give me $5,000 increase in salary for the school year, um, but my husband says, they just, my husband said they just threw coins at me and that that should have been at least a bare minimum. So for me, when I'm, everybody's compensation should be at the level where it should be because I, my pay shouldn't be right above a teacher's pay. And it's not me like bragging on myself, but if you're asking me to do all these administrative tasks, and I think David can agree with this, you're doing a lot of stuff as an administrator. So that's time away from your family, time away from your personal life. Like you deserve to be compensated well. And then um, I'm hoping that we just didn't get woke over the summer. And then when we get to 2021, we forgot that Black Lives Matter. Um, so I would like to see that continue. I recently wrote about Black gifted education from the lens of myself and of my own sons. So you can read that. I was written about a week ago. But there are a lot of things that are in place that are attempting to hold Black children back. And I'm just not convinced that we're actually really going to do the work Um when 2021 comes around. I just feel like it was all for show. It was performative for a lot of people and they were just going to uh, continue the status quo. So those, those are our wish lists. And I, I think Shantae, something you said at the end about black lives actually mattering. Every, every time I think we didn't, again, it's me being naive, right? I think we didn't made some strides, right? Like I'm, I will admit, I was thrilled when Biden picked uh, Senator Harris to be his vice president because I was just like, you know what? I got a daughter who's black and hopefully, you know, God willing and prayerful that Senator Harris is a great role model as vice president. Um, and my daughter can see that. And then, you know, the I think we're, we're going to kind of pivot to this and we've all seen on social media. Um, the 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 talk around who's going to be the new secretary of education and and there were names floated of two particular black women that were considered for the job and to watch the smear campaign by certain organizations attacking while they didn't initially say it's because they were black the 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 level of attacks and a level of criticism that they aimed at these women was rooted in the fact that they were black and that was sickening and unfortunate. And while it has not been announced yet, it, it, it seems that President-elect Biden has selected a secretary of education. But I say all that to say, I hope that folks, um, all those books that they read and all those book studies that they did, that some of that knowledge carries into 2021. You know, I don't know. I, I hope it doesn't take another black person being killed on, on social media for us to wake back up. I hope we stay awake. But again, I'll wait and see for that. But here's what you can expect. 
that the the writers at NDK 12 will continue to push the narrative um, of Black Lives Matter and continue to push the narrative of all the things that we talk about. And again, as I said before, if you would like to write a piece, uh, send it our way uh, and our editor will take a look at it. And if it makes it, it makes it. But if there's things uh, we encourage you to, to subscribe to us and follow us, we do like the comments. I made the joke about the guy that made the comment about the curriculum. We love comments. We love your feedback. I love when folks get mad about things that we write. Uh, I, we've always spent, I love when folks read something we wrote in January and comment, like, did you go searching for it? Like, what is this? You know, so we appreciate, we love that. Um, and we also love the support that we get. So we're kind of close to our hour. So I'm going to have each of you, I have a topic and you tell me which one you want to kind of harp on. So it could either be uh, Indiana selected its first secretary of education. Um, it could be this idea of standardized tests in 2021. It can be, you know, Biden's potential pick for secretary of education. Or it could be whether or not you think all schools should open in Biden's first hundred days. So I'll start with you. Uh, you pick a topic. Which one of these do you want to kind of do you want to take the solo screen and talk about as your closing thoughts? <laughs> Oh, that, that was a lot of time, but I thought I was gonna have like two things to choose from. Yeah. That was like a whole list. Pick one, yeah. You pick pick which one. You uh, or you can pick one that wasn't even listed. You said, you know what? I want to talk about this in 2021. So, what's it gonna be for you? I mean. I was paying attention, but I mean, you said like testing and then schools <laughs> opening and it was a lot on there. But since in closing thoughts here, I think as I'm looking towards 2021, I'm just looking for schools to make a commitment um, to serve students and serve them well. As we early talked about a lot of schools, I don't want to say a lot, just some schools just really weren't making progress before the pandemic. And so now you have this pandemic. And I think it could be potentially used as an excuse to kind of skate and not hold ourselves accountable. And we still have to hold ourselves accountable to make sure students are successful. I know there was the teachers for good trouble. And what was interesting enough, one of the teachers that was behind that ended up talking to, and I, and I know I wrote like they shouldn't have done that walkout. Um, and I know David had interviewed them, but for me, I don't think schools should be uh, penalized for the data, but I do think we need mm. to have the test and get the data so we can use it. And because uh, it's just a snapshot in time, right? It lets you know where students are. I mean, my kids sat here and took NWA at home. Um, and when I looked at their scores, it was able to tell me that my sons were still above grade level in reading, but in math, they kind of just have flatlined uh, at where they were. That's data that was important for me to know because I, I'm having them do a little bit of math stuff or a winter break. Um, so I just want us to not use the pandemic as an excuse to hide or not work and not hold ourselves accountable for diversity, equity, inclusion, and anti-racism work. Um, because, uh, and I pushed back at my own school, we were, a, we were supposed to start this equity work and it got pushed to second semester. And even though my school pushed it to second semester, I continued doing the stuff that I was doing last school year and I ramped it up this school year. So my team has been um, focused on it. And what's interesting enough, when you go ahead and move forward on something you're interested in, and other people see it. I have other people that's not even on my team that ask me about the stuff I'm sharing with my team. Um, so that's, I guess that's, that's, that's all I gotta say. <laughs> I love it. I love it. 
Andrew, what what what's gonna be what's your closing thoughts? Uh what are you looking forward to in 2021? Yeah, I agree. We need that um that data and going back to what you were saying earlier, um not having a test and not having that data doesn't mm. show that black lives matters. We've done all this stuff about um you know over social justice summer and things like that. We read all these articles and we share all these things, but if we don't have this data somewhere on paper, then they literally don't matter. They literally do not factor in. Like that's not a, it's not a metaphor or, you know, um, anything like that. If we don't have the data, they literally don't matter. They, um, that's not a figure of speech. So I think we need to um, make sure that we have the tests or something that resembles a test so we figure out where these kids are at and just how much work we have to do. It's okay if it's a lot. I don't think anybody would expect it not to be. But if we don't at least get out in front of it and start cutting off, because here's the thing, there's time over the summer too, and I think a lot of parents will be on board with opportunities in the summer. But in order to do that, what do we have to do? We have to know where they're at before they leave, right? I don't want to combine the COVID slide with the summer slide and whatnot. So I think we need to move beyond some of these um, conversations, which were good, but I think a lot of schools wanted to stay there and we need to start talking about what that actually looks like in real life. And it doesn't necessarily just look like what you think, um, what you know you might think it looks like, which is, I know a lot of schools are very proud of themselves for you know having certain people come speak and, and things like that. And that's all well and good, but with that being said, if you are willing to have a school full of children not take a test and not know where they're at for an entire year because you think it might make you look bad, that is definitely not woke. Um, so I just want people to realize that, that it's not, it's, it's not just about the, the book clubs and it's not just about the, the videos you share. It's about what you do day in and day out. And how, what, are you willing to take that heat? Are you willing to take that constructive criticism if your students take this test and it comes back and it says half of them are two grades below grade level? I love it. I echo uh, everything that you all say. I think the piece that I'm going to follow uh, kind of closely is twofold. So I'm firstly going to closely follow the new Indiana Secret, what is he, the education chief? I don't even know what the title is. What, you know, education chief. Secretary of Education. There we go. Secretary of Education in Indiana, uh, Katie Jenner. I'm going to closely monitor, you know, the work that she's doing. Um, she is appointed by the governor and was selected by the governor, which is uh, new for us here in Indiana. Typically that, that role has been voted on and we've seen some uh, very contentious elections. Uh, I remember, I remember early in my career watching Glenda Ritz uh, shocked Tony Bennett, which was a shocker. And then I watched um, as Dr. McCormick wiped the floor with Glenda Ritz, you know, the, you know, and, and all that and, and how that contentious has been with the past two uh, education secretary or, you know, people that we've had in that role. Eventually, at the end of their their uh, term, seemed to got into it with the governor, which made very things hard in the city, in the state, I mean. So I'm going to watch that. And, and I'm hoping that she does work that reflects the entire state, uh, that she does work with K-12. She does work with higher education and she does work centered around what we've talked about, um, 
racial justice and racial equity within schools across the entire state. And so I'm looking forward to that. And then obviously I'm looking forward to Biden's selection and what that means for the Department of Education and how at least what it seems that we're going to have an educator in that role and not just someone who essentially bought her way into the seat. And um, so I'm looking forward to those two, two things. And so look forward to us writing about those, particularly me. Look forward to the uh, podcast being about those and just excited for the for the year. And so as we close out 2020, I want to thank uh, everybody who's kicked it uh, with me on the Recess Podcast. Again, it's been 26 episodes. It's crazy. Uh, when it started on April 7th, I didn't even know how far I would go with it. And so I'm excited that I was able to launch this in 2020. Excited for what 2021 has. Uh, the January shows, I'm going to have some conversations with Teach Indy. I'm going to have some conversations with the Indianapolis Teaching Post. I'm going to have another conversation with the uh, executive director here for Teach for America Indianapolis. And I'm going to also uh, have a conversation with the three new uh, Mind Trust fellows uh, here in Indiana. So that's going to be awesome. And then in February, I'm going to do my first Recess Podcast national conversation when I'm going to bring on a guest that's not from Indiana, not from Indianapolis. So I'm excited about that. Um, but also, as always, continue to subscribe to NDK12, uh, not just the rest of this year, but I, I promise you um, we're going to have some really good pieces coming in 2021 because there's a lot happening uh, and a lot that we haven't talked about yet that's on the horizon. And so be on the lookout for that. Uh, but as always, happy holidays, everybody. Happy New Year. Happy Christmas, uh, Kwanzaa, whatever it is you celebrate. Um, happy to you and all of that. I wish everybody peace and blessings. And as I always say at the end of every show, create the platform, control the conversation, change the culture. Catch us in 2021. Uh, and God bless everybody and be safe. Take care.